Christopher Hines was murdered on April 28, 2013, and this is his sister's story. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Huge shout-outs this week to Jane D. and Candy C. for becoming Patreon supporters. Your help is so greatly appreciated and helps this podcast to continue dropping weekly. Thank you! Sanger, California is a city in Fresno County, California in the U.S. The population there is right around 24,000 and has a total area of 5.5 square miles of land. In 1888, the Pacific Improvement Company began selling lots and the first post office opened. In 1890, this is when Sanger began to thrive, seeing over 75 buildings going up after the Kings River Lumber Company built a log flume to transport lumber, creating jobs. Sanger became a center for shipping grain, citrus, and lumber with the arrival of the railroad depot. In 1926, the General Grant tree was deemed as the nation's Christmas tree, and in 1949, the Post Office Department recognized this city as the nation's Christmas tree city, and they are known as such both nationally and internationally. Standing in Grant Cove of the Kings Canyon National Park, the General Grant tree has stood there for between two and 4,000 years and is 267 feet tall. While in Sanger, be sure to also visit their quaint museum. It is their oldest building and was originally the train depot. Hi. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Tiffany is Chris's older sister. She was 15 when her baby brother was born, right in the throes of her teenage years. She wasn't necessarily thrilled by the fact that her parents were having a baby. She wanted to have quiet in the house when her friends would come over to hang out, but instead had the Barney song ringing out. Chris was an active boy, full of energy, and this energy was at times hard for his big sister to contain. Tiffany loved this little bundle of energy though, even though he exhausted her. He had many interests and is described by Tiffany as a ladies' man. Having grown up surrounded by women in the household, not only his sisters and mother, but all of the girls that would come over to spend time in the family home, he learned to have an easy way with girls. Picking up the guitar when he was 12 added to his charm, and Tiffany was always so amazed and impressed by his natural ability. It seemed he could listen to any song and play it in no time at all. 
His favorite music was classic rock, and you could often hear him playing Pink Floyd as you walked through the door in this busy household. Chris's parents were very supportive and would always ensure he had what he needed to pursue his passions, which also included boxing as he got older. Although his father was often away from home for long stretches being a long-haul truck driver, when he was home, he and Chris had a special father-son bond. Chris and his mother were also particularly close, spending so much time together at home, just the two of them. How was it having a baby brother as a teenager? Nah, not too much, Rob. <laughs> yeah, he was very hyperactive as a boy, so um, yeah. So it was challenging. He was Barney, so it was, yeah, it was very challenging. Well, he grew up in a house full of women, and so he was more, I guess you would say, on the sensitive side than most um, boys his age, um, which was a hit and miss, I guess. <laughs> but he was very uh, caring. Like, we used to play soccer, and we would play um, the PS2. I remember playing the PS2 all the time with him, um, outlaw golf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we would, like, we camping, we'd go hunting together and just, I don't know, I guess back then it would be normal things. I have a younger sister and then my mother and then of course all of our girlfriends were always around so my father drives trucks so he was always out on the road. So what did Chris yeah. like to do when he was growing up? Um, he, like I said, we played, he liked soccer and um, he played uh, the guitar and what else did he really like to do? He was a great drawing. Um, oh, really? But the guitar, I think, was his most strongest part. Was his he he could pick up any song instantly. Like he would listen to a song and he could just play it. I was like, wow. I mean, and play it very well, mind you. And did he play on any sports teams or do any activities in the school? Uh, he did soccer for the most part. Um, when it came to football, he was bigger when he was really young so he couldn't run as fast as the other ones but he was a great blocker oh wow <laughs> so he was a big boy yeah when he was young he was was he quite a popular boy with friends he did i mean there's like when he, his teenagers there was always um a select five that were always around like nonstop. um which they started doing boxing and things like that so that was interesting Oh, my goodness. So they were all pretty much big, except for, like, one. Because I know Dylan and was the skinny one, and then there's Austin and Mario, and they, they were both uh, not heavy, but they were built. And then uh, Johnny, he was pretty thin. Tiffany would find this bunch of teenage boys at the family home boxing. What a sight that must have been. They worked rather hard at this sport. Together, they would practice sparring with each other trying hard to become skilled at this passion that they were learning to be quite good at. Chris's parents were happy when their son wanted to be at home with his friends, and they were always there ready to encourage him. When Chris enjoyed something, he would spend many hours perfecting. You can get a sense of his character through his hard work and determination. Instruments are something that someone has to spend hours working on to achieve the desired effect being very precise and particular and exact. 
Chris was obviously someone who would dedicate himself wholly. There was never a dull moment in the Heinz household, is a remark Tiffany made. That sounds pretty accurate, imagining these boys boxing out in the backyard or all of the other various activities that would always be on the go. And what was his relationship like with your mother? They actually had a really good relationship. Um, I mean, they normal little quarrels or whatever, but for the most part, I mean, they they got along very well. And with your father? for my mom. Oh, really? Oh, they 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 did too. I mean, it, uh, they tried to make sure he had everything he would need, you know, or, or want to experience, like going to church camp or you know, being able to, to play the guitar or do the, the boxing, like they buy him all the, the top-notch stuff so he could get into it and get a feel for it. And it gets really good. Do you have a big family? Um, pretty much. I mean, it, when I was younger, we had all the cousins and everything all around. It's not so much like that now. Um, but when Christopher came, we were all older. So, eh starting our own families or in this and that. So it was a little different with him, but he still got the concept of a family. Well, see, he was the boy, you know what I mean? So he got all the extra little quirks that boys get to do, and I never really got that until after he came. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Then you got to do all those fun things, didn't you? I was just like, wait a minute. I said, I didn't get to do that at that age. What's really going on? Well, he's a boy. I don't care. Tiffany was happy to join in on all of the activities that were now happening because her brother was there to participate in them. Her loving parents enjoyed Chris. They were thrilled to be able to indulge him in his various pursuits. Tiffany also loved Chris very much. She loved watching him grow, being busy with his friends and hobbies. This is partially what helped for them to become as close as they were. Tiffany was proud of Chris. Proud of all he could do, all that he did, of him. Tiffany so wishes that she had many more years with her kid brother. She wanted to grow old with him, see who he would become, watch him be a father to his precious son, an uncle to her children, the brother she cherished, the son that their parents adored. Chris was someone that was just so easily lovable and was so desperately loved by his family. He is missed and has left a profound sadness within them. Chris's life was cut short by an unknown person. He was left to die, alone, and the police did not do justice to this dying man. He was not attended to for over two hours, even though the police had been called to the scene. This is the story of Christopher Hines' murder. Tell me about the terrible day that you found out that your brother had been murdered, and what happened? Um, he had been at my house the night of, and um, he just found out that he possibly had a baby boy, and he wanted to it's all about wanting to be there for that baby. And uh, he had talked to the mother, and they had made an agreement that he could come by this upcoming morning to visit with the boy. And uh, 
So he came by the house and said, okay, well, she wants me to go and get her something really quick. Well, I'm going to go run her errand, and then I'll be back because I want to sleep and have, you know, have a shower and everything before I go see him. And I'm like, okay, well, just be careful. We fed him some dinner, and he, and he left, and um, he never came back. I got the phone call the next morning about 7 a.m. saying he was in the hospital from a gunshot wound to the head. I thought, yeah, he got into a fight with somebody or, and it went south or somebody saw him and thought he was somebody else. So you didn't have any sort of gut feeling on what happened. You just kind of thought that it was, you know, mistaken identity mm-hmm. or a fight or something yeah. along those mm-hmm. lines. When they told me that he had been shot, they didn't tell me he had been shot in the head. They just said he had been shot. And I asked my dad, I said, in the head? And my dad goes, how did you know that? And I said, I didn't. What happened next? It's 7 in the morning. You spent the night before with him. Your father calls to tell you this tragic news. And and what did you do after that? What happened? I started making phone calls. Been on with that. Nobody knew anything. And the only thing that I was told was that um, somebody saw a body lying in the, the alleyway, so they called the cops. Nobody knew it was him. It took me three days to actually go down there and sit. Okay. Um, I, I couldn't do it. I didn't want to accept it. Um, my sister, on the other hand, she sat there the entire time. Right. For you, it was too um, real. Like, going there, it would have been too real for you. The emotions would have been too hard to yeah. handle. Right. I understand oh, yeah. that. Um, instead, I got to call the family. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you did that. You kept on top of everyone knowing what was happening and making sure that people yeah. were up to date. But going there was just mm-hmm. too hard. And when you finally, yeah. And when you finally went there after three days... How did you feel, and and how did you handle that? Um, not too good. Um, we had a, a meeting right away with all of the family, um, because his brain activity had went um from eighty percent when they first when he first got there to less than two percent, and so there was none, <laughs> and uh we decided on what we wanted to do. And uh, he'd always said, if anything ever happened to me, I don't want to live on machines. So that was the first thing. And then we had to decide on whether or not we were going to donate his organs, which we did, which I had a a big problem with at first. (laughs) Tell me about that. Why, why Why did you have a problem with that? I didn't want them cutting on him. Right. Yeah, it was simply that you just didn't want them to cause more trauma to your brother. Yeah. I mean, after seeing him when I first walked in, it was just he had uh, a drainage tube on his uh, forehead. And come to find out later, that's where the bullet was at. Um, and it just looked horrible. <laughs> and the whole thing that changed my whole thing on it was uh, we donated his heart. Um, so after we called it, we left him on the machines until they could uh, find a, a, a ping, a match for his his DNA and somebody else's. And um, he, there's a little girl that um, had been on the waiting list quite a while for a new heart. And they were getting ready to give up on it. And when they typed in his information, it pinged instantly. 
And um, so they took them in right away and performed heart surgery for this little girl. And uh, today she's a very strong, loving, oh, I think she's probably 17 now, um, young lady that got to go to prom and now has a life because of him. And that's awesome. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> But if it wasn't that, I don't think I would have ever came around to it. <laughs> so have you ever met this little girl? Not yet. It's still in the process because there's a lot of guidelines and um, privacy laws and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, but my mom and her have wrote back and forth. So that's, that's comforting, you know, that she, she acknowledges it. And that my mom doesn't want her to feel any kind of guilt or anything, you know, that she has his heart, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, it's just, it's a slow relationship. <laughs> yes. This family, reeling from the news, their precious son, brother, uncle, father, had been shot, now had to make a debilitating decision. The doctors informing them that there was nothing more that could be done, that Chris would never recover. Tiffany knew how her young brother felt about being kept alive on a machine. They knew what they had to do, but what a horrible decision to have to make. The family watched Chris lying there, looking so young, with what should have been a life ahead of him never thinking they would be sitting in a hospital bed having to choose. Tiffany spent that last evening with Chris. She saw how excited he was about meeting his new son. He was ready for the next step in his life. He couldn't have been happier that night heading out the door. His sister made him a meal, something that in hindsight, had she known what was to come, it would have been his favorites. Not a quick meal just to fill his belly. But no one knew what was to come. No one could have known that this would be the last time anyone in the family would see Chris. Tiffany is so thankful that she told him she loved him. Not something she always did. Now, the final moments of his life were before them. Sitting in the hospital, this close-knit family. Tiffany was trying to find out what happened. How could her brother have been shot? Someone must have seen something. Someone must know something. She spent those first few days that Chris was in the hospital making calls, hopeful that he would pull through, hopeful that she would find something out. When it was clear he wouldn't make it, she headed over there to help her family make that awful decision and to say goodbye. Such a powerful decision had to be made, deciding to donate Chris's organs. A decision that helps so many people. And as you heard, this generous family did just that. What a bittersweet moment when they heard that Chris's heart saved a young girl's life. Now, you say nobody knew what was happening or seemed to know anything. And why do you think that was? At the time, I think people were scared. Um, to be honest with you, that's 
I really think that's what it had to do is that they didn't want anything to happen to, to them or to their family, so nobody wanted to talk. Right. Um, now, I think it's still along the same line, to be honest with you, um, because you still don't hear anything, really. Here and there, you might hear, catch something, and have to piece it together, but nothing that you can actually uh, prove. When did the police get involved in the investigation? Well, my dad was talking to um, the lead detective right away. Um, every day, my dad would call every day. Uh, after memorial service and, you know, a month or two went by, dad was still calling every day trying to find out any new information on the case or is there anything going on. Or And uh, then one day, the police department called my dad and said, we got him. Get ready for the next phase. And uh, when my mom told me that, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, here we go. We can, we're going to get some justice, finally. Well, come to find out, they had already released the man that they thought allegedly who had done this and um, called my dad two hours after the fact and told him we got him when there was nobody in custody. Oh, my goodness. How dreadful yeah. is that? Now, why... Yeah. Why had they arrested this particular person? What led them to believe he was the guy? Um, because of the, the, his alleged son. Um, he could have been the other possible father. So kind of like a love triangle, I guess you would call it. Okay. Um, but it never panned out. I mean, I, I'll even talk to this gentleman, and with all my heart, I do not believe he had anything to do with it. Because this young mother wasn't sure who the father of her child was, the police initially thought that perhaps the other man killed Chris. He was the suspect. Chris's father was naturally irate after the police had called to say they had arrested someone only to find out that he had been let go, that no charges were going to be laid. An emotional roller coaster that would be unimaginable. There are times when things happen in an investigation that are just baffling. Chris's father has had to make a conscious choice on a daily basis to not let things like this get to him, as he wants to continue to have a solid relationship with the police. Last year, when Tiffany ran into this man, the suspect, at a party, she ended up giving him a lift from the party, figuring why not take this opportunity to look into his eyes and see what they have to say. She always felt confident she would know for certain if she was around the person who killed her brother. She felt she would hear Chris whispering in her ear that this is the guy. Tiffany is confident after having looked this man dead in the eyes while he told her that Chris was a friend and he never would have done that, that he didn't. Tiffany believes him. The impact of that moment must have been staggering. What is your family's relationship with the police like now? There, there's none now. I mean, at first I, I thought they were actually doing something, but as time went by, um, I would see the lead detective uh, at the store or something, and 
he'd be like, oh, I heard, you know, now that Chris and Mike aren't here, what, you're having problems. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, he didn't seem to me to be very professional. But that's my personal opinion. Um, I, I witnessed him do other cases or, you know, read about it, and, and he'd been excellent. So it may just have been this case, or it may, he may have had a quote with me. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Uh, it doesn't really matter <laughs> for the no, most part. Uh, you're not satisfied, though, and your parents aren't satisfied. No, I'm not. No. No, no. I don't think they've done him any type of justice. Um, they had put up, or hand, gave us flyers to put up for um, a $2,500 uh, reward for any information. And um, right after we all, because we, we left Singer shortly after his murder, um, needless to say, all the flyers have, were taken down almost instantly after we, we all left. Uh, like, we had a, we, at the cigarette store, um, they had the flyers put up of them and they took them down, and I'd went in a few days after they had taken them down. I'm like, well, what did you take it down for? You know, like, I'm inquiring, you know, it's no big deal if you don't, can't keep it up, but I understand. And um, he said, well, the police came in and said, take it down. Why would they tell you that? Oh, okay. So then I told my father that, and right away it was, oh, it's just causing problems with interfering with the ongoing investigation, da 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 Okay, we'll respect that. It is so hard to understand why putting up posters would be a hindrance to a case that is still unsolved all these years later. It would seem to me that posters could perhaps jog people's memories and bring in new leads. At a candlelight vigil Tiffany held, many people attended, including the mayor. Unfortunately, this too was seen as a disturbance to the case, apparently. The family was told that they were pushing too much. They were simply honoring their brother, having people rallying around them, showing them support and love that Chris has remembered, keeping him in the public eye. The family had shirts made and passed them out, yet they were told this wasn't benefiting anybody. But what about the benefit to the family? These organized activities can bring Chris back into the forefront of people's minds. Not to mention, the family's hearts will be filled with love seeing the people that attend. Memories can be jogged. Someone may come forward and say, Oh yeah, I remember what happened. No longer having ties to someone they didn't want to speak out on before. Or no longer being in that same social circle not having to keep quiet any longer. Seeing a poster or a vigil may remind someone that Chris's family is still out there waiting for answers, loving and missing him every single day. And today, do you have any idea what happened to your brother? My Christopher was really, he was sketchy about letting people stand behind him. Um, he always had been to didn't like people to stand behind him. <laughs> so if you were behind him, you'd have you'd have to trust you. Um, and from what the uh, ER doctor had told me that uh, they were very very close when they fired because of the type of uh, uh, residue that was on his his neck or lower head 
was uh, very heavy. And um, he still had the cigarette and uh, lighter in his hand. Um, I guess he was lighting a cigarette when he was shot and his body seized. Because um, the ER doctor said that he had pulled it out of his hand when he was wheeled in. Um, so I think it was somebody that he was comfortable around. Um, but I guess I'll, I won't know until justice is served. <laughs> From my understanding, around midnight that night, people that lived in the area had heard a gunshot. But nothing ever came about it, supposedly. Um, about an hour later is when there were people that were walking through the alley, saw somebody lying there. Um, and didn't bother checking because they didn't know what, you know, but they had said something to somebody else about 20 minutes after they had saw him. And that's when that individual called and the police department to let them know, hey, there's somebody lying in the alley that might be dead. You need to go check it out. Well, when the police department arrived on the scene, they got another call, uh, a domestic violence call. And um, so they left. They didn't check him. They didn't look at him. They they left him. And uh, came back oh, about two hours later after they were done. And that's when they started doing their uh, blocking the scene off or whatever. And then 28 minutes after that is when they finally checked to see if he had a pulse. So the police arrived there and left him for two hours? And then when they came yeah. back again, they left him for another 28 minutes? Yeah, before they, they even touched him or, or actually, you know, tried to, to see if he was alive or dead. The police saw a man lying there and chose not to check on him. This news is so heartbreaking, adding to the what-ifs about this case. It is dreadful that the police didn't go to see what had happened. There was a record of the calls, and it is clear that Chris was ignored for reasons unknown. And there is no possible reason that can be given that would justify this police behavior. As it is considered an ongoing investigation, the police are keeping the exact details of what happened closed for now. But two hours and 28 minutes? It is so baffling that someone will have to answer why this happened at some point. I suppose once the investigation is solved, perhaps the family will get answers as to why they left him there. The family certainly deserves answers. Chris's father is very clear about not wanting to annoy the officers. He respects their work and wants them to continue to give it their all. He wants his son's case closed, as does his mother and the rest of the family. They are all devastated and are struggling to comprehend what happened. I mean, just to think that he lied there for so long without any care or anybody even realizing what was going on or, you know, by himself. You know, that, that's what's the hard part about it is because I feel that that's when he, he actually died, you know, and there was nobody there with him. But... You know, I mean, who knows who, if we could have got him in right away and taken care of it, who knows, he may have survived. I mean, we'll never know. And so there would be that big what if, but everything happens for a reason, and that's hard to accept, but, 
you know, like I said, the little girl got his heart, and he has a beautiful phone <laughs> that is just like he was when he was younger. So, I mean, there there's pluses to it in a you know, odd, morbid sense of thinking about it. It is necessary for Chris's family to look for the positives. As each day is a challenge, rehashing the ifs and whys will drive them crazy. They try to look to the good so they can survive. I mean, everything has changed since, since this has happened. I mean, um, uh, like, I don't let my kids go anywhere now. <laughs> like, they're very sheltered now because I, I don't trust people at all. Um, it just, our family got stronger in some senses, but then I think it, it's weaker in others. Uh, it's just a, a hit and miss all the way around. Like, you know, like with his son, Jeremiah, he's a beautiful little boy. And he's just like he was when he was that age. I mean, like identical is a trait, so everything. We'll see, um, his aunt had called me when this had all happened. And she's like, I'm not trying to uh, push anything on you or interfere or, you know, make you think we're trying to get money for him or, you know, anything like that. Just wanted to let you know that this is what we think. Um, And Christopher had thought it too at the time. And because Christopher thought it when he had passed, in my mind, it doesn't matter even if the boy's not his. He thought that boy was his, therefore that boy's his. My family, on the other hand, it took a while to get them to open up to the fact. <laughs> oh, yes. I can understand, though. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like you, how you had difficulty with the organ donation at first. You know, mm-hmm. everyone has different yeah. areas that I can understand both sides of how it can be difficult. Yeah. You know, so that's... But now well, are they... I, I pushed the issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, I, I pushed the issue because... Uh, Every time I get a picture of him, I send it to my mom and my sister. Be like, that reminds you of, <laughs> right. you, you know? And they were like, at first, leave it alone. It's not. And I'm like, no, I don't believe that, you know. And so I, I let them think I left it alone, but I never did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I kept pushing me into the back. <laughs> and then I invited um, the boy and his his grandmother to uh, a birthday party for one of my sons and that's how he was introduced to our family oh and how old was he at the time he was two. Oh, a beautiful age to introduce how can you not fall in love with a two-year-old right <laughs> oh yeah and he was just like my dad was a little standoffish at first because you know he he recognized it and he knew it but he didn't want to accept it but now that's his, that's his Jeremiah and Jeremiah's papa. <laughs> oh, that's nice. You know, Jeremiah comes over and the first thing he does is he goes straight to my parents' at parents' room because that's where Christopher's urine's at. And mm-hmm. he wants to go say hi to his dad. But I talk to him quite regularly. But I see him at least once a month, maybe maybe more. It just depends on what's going on. Um, his uh, his family, they practice Jehovah Witness, so they don't do, like, holidays and birthdays and things, and our family's real big on that, so that's normally when we have our big family functions or get-togethers, and it's kind of upsetting that he, he can't join because his grandmother doesn't want to confuse him on their teachings versus he's at that impressionable age, which I completely understand and respect, so I wait till after a birthday or before a birthday, and then I invite him over, and let them realize, you know, not necessarily 
partake, but at least acknowledge it. Chris felt strongly about being part of his little boy's life. And both families have worked together to establish a relationship, respectfully accepting each other's differences. What a beautiful thing. Your family has been stronger and weaker in some ways. Can you just give us an example of the stronger and the weaker? Well, it, we're together. Like, we're all together now. Um, <laughs> we're, um, so on that level, because I guess we're all scared. Um, you know, when this had happened, my parents had moved and me and my sister had our own places and so on and so forth. But now we're, we're, we're all under one roof. So it makes us stronger on that sense, but then it makes us weaker because there's always the blame game, you know, and it's not healthy, but it happens. Um, If we would have done this differently or if you would have done that differently, things would be different. Well, that's the what if aspect of everything and we'll never know. And then you have your own personal guilt and then, you know, well, if I would have just made him stay or, you know, if I just would have uh, been there, you know, something would be different, but you never know. So that makes us weaker at the same time. You know, it's, we're stronger, but weaker. I've done the vigil and I have his, his poster, it's a flyer up on my Facebook page. Like that's really, uh, I won't take it down. And I, I try to be vocal about it, but. Again, it's a hit and miss because people are still afraid. You know, it's still, it's fresh, but it's not fresh, fresh. So I feel I could do more and I would like to do more, but I really don't know what that consists of. Tiffany spends as much time as possible with her nephew. This is how she helps herself and her brother the younger brother that at one time spent hours listening to Barney driving teenage Tiffany bonkers and then learning to play the guitar, playing music that impressed her. They grew up and became friends. Tiffany always there for her brother, looking out for him and encouraging him, and now missing him. Her nephew's likeness to Chris brings such joy and happiness and love. She knows that being there for his son is what he would have wanted. So she does it, happily, honoring her brother through his son, remembering him, and equally importantly, ensuring her nephew knows who his father was. What advice would you give to others going through a similar tragedy? Be strong. Everybody mourns in their own way, and it's hard. And I know it's a broken record when they say, oh, time heals all wounds. And it it doesn't heal it, but it makes it a little bit easier to to get through the day. Um, Don't get me wrong. I cry all the time over it. I don't let anybody see it, but I do. (laughs) My mom, she, she cries regularly just because it's the loss and the unknowing of what had happened. Um, But your life doesn't go on hold ever for anything. Birth is the beginning stage of death, whether you want it to happen or not. And the only way to, to get through it is to remember, 
don't forget, don't try to forget, and don't let anybody tell you oh, to get over it, because you're going to get over it at your own time. And it will change you. It, it, it changes you. It changes you completely, <laughs> you know. How has it changed you? It. How has it changed you? Well, like, okay, I have six kids. And my two older girls, like my oldest daughter, she grew up with Christopher for, you know, she's only a couple of years younger than him. And, um, the things that I would let her do when she was younger or a teenager versus what I let my children now do are completely opposite. You know, my daughter had freedom, I guess you would call, uh, now people can come over, you can hang out with your friends, but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're, you're not going to, you know, which is, that's bad on my part. And I, and I recognize that, but I, I'm scared. I don't want my, one of my kids to leave and something bad happen because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Tiffany works hard to keep the memory of her beloved brother alive, wondering when they will finally get the news they are so hoping for. Who killed their Chris? Things aren't progressing quickly enough for her. But let's continue to hope for justice for Christopher. I haven't heard anybody. Nobody's contacted me or said anything in, you know, five years. And now all of a sudden something's happening. And so I, I have a lot of faith right now <laughs> to tell people to, to enjoy what you, time you have with each other. Because you never know when it'll be cut short. Everybody says, oh, live life, live life like you're dying, you know. Okay, well... Technically, everybody is. You just don't know when. So enjoy your time when, while you can. Life's too short to, to be hateful or to be mad or ugly. It's not worth it because you can't take back what happens. If one person can be nicer to someone, then Tiffany will feel that she did some good in the world. So let us all say something nice to someone today. Following Tiffany's lead, that kindness is so important. Tiffany is delighted with these well-timed last words. But when he had left that night, I, he had started right away, and I was like, hey! And he's like, what? And I'm like, I love you, fool. I'll see you in a little while. And he's like, I love you too, sis. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you after a bit. And I don't know why he said that, but something told me he needed to know that I loved him. Well, I was the last family member that I got to see him alive. And um, so it makes it a bittersweet on that level, you know, because of course everybody else wanted to say something to him like that, but they didn't get the chance. I did. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. And you take care. You too. Okay, have a good day. You too, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank everyone for being here this week. I have been getting such amazing feedback from the families that tell their stories here. This is all thanks to you, our listeners. I greatly appreciate your support and dedication to Mourning the Murdered. While producing the podcast, I need many tools to be able to bring you quality content each week. I now have an affiliate link with Amazon. And by simply clicking on the link before you make your Amazon purchases, 
you are helping to support my podcast. Once you click on the link, you will be redirected to your Amazon page, ordering as you normally would. There are no extra costs and no fees. Just go to my website, morningthemurderedpodcast.com, and click on the affiliate link. You can also, as always, support the podcast by sending a one-time PayPal contribution, or through Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month. All of the links can be found on morningthemurderedpodcast.com. So your help is only one click away. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys. 